1: The White Witch podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. To keep things off today, we have our book review, and our book is After the Forest by Kel Woods. This is an amazing witchy fiction book based on Hansel and Gretel's life following the witch. Here is the book's blurb. Twenty years after the witch in the gingerbread house. Greta and Hans are struggling to get by. Their father and stepmother are long dead. Hans is deeply in debt from gambling and the countryside lies in ruin. It's people starving in the aftermath of a brutal war. Greta has a secret though. The witch's grimoire secreted away and whispering in Greta's ear for the past two decades and the recipe inside that makes the best gingerbread you've ever tasted. As long as she can bake, Greta can keep her small family afloat. But in a village full of superstition, Greta and her mysteriously addictive gingerbread, not to mention the rumours about her childhood misadventures, are a source of gossip and suspicion. And now, dark magic is returning to the woods, and Greta's magic, magic she is still trying to understand, may be the only thing that can save her if it doesn't kill her first. This book is absolutely stunning. And for the time I was reading this, all I could think of was forests, bears, wolves, and gingerbread. This really is a fairy tale for adults and ideal for reading this hibernation season. Greta is a character we really get to know. For those kitchen witches, I'm sure you will appreciate this book for the many baking scenes and perhaps frown at some of the ingredients at certain points as Greta starts to succumb to tatter magic, a more malefic form of magic. There is a romance that weaves throughout the book which is well done. I'm not always a fan of romance in books, that sounds so humbug! what a scrooge, because sometimes it is quite sickening, a little bit cringe, but I liked the love interest and it was nicely done. Greta is however no fair maiden who needs saving, she definitely shows what she is made of throughout the book when she is clearing up her brother's mess or rescuing others. The writing style is beautiful, very well done. The author sets the scenes so well. It's a long book. I powered through it. I did get stuck at one section of the book about halfway through. It seemed to drag a little bit but I stayed with it and it did not disappoint. That could have just been me and my own focus at the time because most of the time of reading this I couldn't put it down and... At 463 pages, it is a big boy of a book still. Here is a section of the book in regard to the gingerbread and the grimoire to give you an idea of her writing style. She knew the recipe by heart, could recite it in her sleep, and yet she was always careful to work with the book beside her, open at the same dusty page, the ink worn with long use. To not do so would result in an altogether different kind of gingerbread. No less sweet, but somehow lacking. It would serve, of course, but it would not smell the way the book's baking smelled. Enticing and heady, full of rapture and delight, as though to not eat of it would be your very ruin. Greta knew how it felt. She had known the sweetness of the witch's gingerbread, could recall its hold upon her still. The little gingerbread house that had so entranced her and her brother all those years ago had been crafted with more than just cinnamon and cloves, honey and eggs and ginger. There was magic in it too, seeping from the book's pages, working its way into the dough. It was not only hunger that had driven them to eat it. This book is so beautiful in appearance also. As someone who loves collecting books, the hardback is gorgeous in black and forest greens with an image of our fiery-haired Gretel walking through the forest and it has this beautiful gold writing on it too. It now sits as one of the display books on my bookshelves. Absolutely love this book and I think that you will too. On today's episode, I'm speaking with author Julie Peters, who has created the Full Moon Yearbook. Julie and her publishers have very kindly sent me a copy of her book as a giveaway for you lovely witches. To be in for a chance to win, head over to my Instagram at the White Witch Podcast. You will need to like the post I have out today with an image of her book. Be following my Instagram account. And tag a friend you would like to include in the competition too. The competition will run till close of play Wednesday, 27th December, and I will announce the winner on next week's podcast and via my Instagram account. You'll be able to find the details in the show notes for this episode. So you might want to pause this episode and find me over on Instagram at the White Witch Podcast. But for now, join me after the break for our discussion all about the moon. So I am here with Julie Peters. She is a writer, yoga, meditation teacher, tarot reader and wellness counsellor based in Edmonton, Alberta in Treaty 6 territory. She is a staff writer at Spirituality and Health magazine and is the author of The Full Moon Yearbook, A Year of Ritual and Healing Under the Light of the Full Moon, Secrets of the Eternal Moon Phase Goddesses, Meditations on Desire, Relationships and the Art of Being Broken, and the Canada Book Award winning Want, Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion and Pleasure After Sexual Assault. She offers wellness courses, yoga classes, tarot readings, and body-based counselling online. You can find her at juliepeters.ca, and I'll put all her links into the show notes. Julie, welcome onto the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to have this chat with you.
1: You're a very talented lady who wears many
0: hats, (laughs) and I'm very
1: impressed.
0: (laughs) Sometimes too many, sometimes too many. (laughs)
1: well today we're going to be wearing your moon hats.
0: yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm, I'm so excited to have you on I'm absolutely loving I've been reading the full moon yearbook so I'm very excited to ask you my first question actually how did your relationship with the moon begin and your subsequent work around her
0: Yes. So I have been a moon lover or a lunatic for a very <laughs> long time. And, um, you know, I mean, I think it's the sort of thing that starts when you're a child, really, and you just kind of notice the magic of the moon and how it changes and that feeling that you get when, you know, the moon is watching you. Um, I remember I was on a um, a long road trip with my brother. We were um, driving across Canada and there was one night when we had our, uh, we were sleeping in our tent and we had one of those little tent um, skylights and the moon, the full moon came like right into the center of the skylight, you sort of open your eyes in the middle of the night and there's this moon staring down at you like it feels so intense. Um, wow. So, you know, I think that the relationship has always been there, which I think is something that really, uh, you know, people everywhere really share that that kind of um, intuitive instinctual relationship with the moon. Um, But I I think I really started getting into studying it when I I started doing a course with um, a yoga teacher called Eric Stoneberg, who introduced me to the 16 moon phase goddesses, um, who are all, um, so, so there's a different goddess for every phase of the moon from new moon to full moon, and they're all different manifestations of the goddess Lalita, and that was what my first book was about. Um, and so every single night, there was a mood, there was a story, and um, there was a meditation that we could practice. And, you know, I, would at the very least, take my dog Finnegan <laughs> out uh, for a walk every night. And um, where I lived at the time in Vancouver, uh, it was it's a it's a relatively northern place. So during the winter time, it would be dark a lot. So we would often be out after dark and the moon would be there. And I would kind of notice like, okay, what does she look like tonight? Like, how does that mood feel in alignment with that goddess that I've been learning about? Um, and I just started really uh, thinking about that a lot and and working with it in that way. And it kind of evolved from there. Um And, you know, in that practice of learning the different uh, flavor or mood of the different goddesses throughout the the phases of the moon, you know, I also, there are just so many different ways to think about the moon in terms of, uh, you know, waxing moon feels different from waning moon. There's a relationship with menstruation there, like a parallel cycle. Um, And of course, with the full moon yearbook, I got to learn all about the um sort of uh the the way that we used to count time before we had a calendar was by moons rather than months which is where that word comes from right um so even just in thinking about that you know the the energy of each month um i think it's just something that when you become aware of it it's so present in your body and your day-to-day life um so i think that relationship has been present for a long time and has just really deepened as i've been privileged enough to to really learn about it over the last oh gosh, a decade, I guess, (laughs) maybe a decade. Yeah, a long time.
1: I absolutely love that. And I can really relate with what you said about, I mean, for myself this year, I've moved from a very built up area to a very quiet countryside area, which gets very dark. And the moon has had such a huge presence in my life because she's just there, like so much more apparent for me now compared to where I used to live. And ultimately that's kind of changed my relationship with her this year as well. But yes absolutely love you know your passion for the moon and there's so much we wanted I wanted to get into with you today about the full moon yearbook this book has I've read quite a few books on the moon because like yourself I am also a lunatic moon lad (laughs) (laughs) and um so I've read quite a few books on the moon I really love your book for the different ways that you've looked at working with her so in Mm -hmm. respect of the yoga poses that was I love that that was a complete game changer also working with the tarot I found that fascinating um there was just wonderful detail in regards to various different ways of honoring and working with the moon across the year what would you say are some of your personal ways that you
0: love to work with the moon There are so many. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so many. And, you know, I think that the practices that I do shift and change depending on not only the season, but also what's going on in my life at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think the simplest way is just looking into the sky. Like I used to, I used to hate the winter. (laughs) And I've really come to learn that, um, you know, I think of myself as a winter witch, like it's really my season in a lot of ways, partly because I think of it as moon season, you know, as the light gets Mm. darker, you get to see the moon a lot more often, and notice what's happening with it. So a lot of it is just kind of noticing, okay, is it a full moon, a new moon? Is it waxing, waning? You know, how is my menstrual cycle lining up with that? You know, how are other things lining up with that? Um, So I think, you know, the simplest practice is really just the mindfulness one. Um, I actually love returning to the moon goddess practice um, in the book uh, that I wrote. Each chapter has a meditation that I also have recorded. I have a version of this as a course on my website Um, and I'll go back and listen to it myself every now and then, especially if I'm going through a big big transition, if I'm grieving, if I need to kind of go back to um, feeling some support from that kind of divine feminine place. Um, I will go back and I'll listen to that, the meditation for that goddess, like every night as I'm falling asleep, for example, pay attention to my dreams in the morning. Um, that's a practice I really like to to come back to. And I also do, you know, um, full moons are are great for for cleansing and new moons are great for setting intentions like every now and then i'll i'll cast a little intuitive spell you know um where if if there's something that i really want to call into my life i'll wait for that new moon moment and you know light a candle set an intention you know depending on what it is i'll have a little ritual around that if there's something i really need to release i might um do that around the full moon and sometimes that looks like you know going to my uh, I have a friend who calls it dance church. There's a, there's a, um, (laughs) a dance it's a, it's a class, but, um, it's, it's two hours of, um, just music and people in a room just moving however they want to, there's no instruction. Um, and so, you know, that's a beautiful practice I find to do around the full moon because it's like, there's stuff that's kind of in my body that I need to sort of shake out and I'll often set an intention there and kind of release in that way. So I don't have, um, you know, strict rituals around any of this. I think a lot of it is really in, intuitive and sort of based on what I feel like I need at the moment and then allowing um, the moon to help me to sort of organize like where and when and how I'm going to be doing those rituals in alignment with that cycle, which is so present in so many different ways in life.
1: I love that. And I also feel this, I, I certainly feel the same with you. My My ways of working with the moon are often very, they're, they're big to me, but they're little, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I, I think as well, like sometimes I think as uh, us witches can sometimes put a lot of pressure on ourselves when it comes mm-hmm. up to perhaps a full moon and so on. And we were having a giggle recently with uh, some of the witches in the um, Discord chat that I'm on saying that sometimes depending on when your moon cycle is or how intense that full moon could be, you know, there are some full moons I've literally lit a tea light and I'm just
0: sitting there like, this is all I've got. Yeah. And that's enough, right? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's all you need. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's the intention that matters. I feel like all the, (laughs) all the ritual is like external manifestation of what, you know, is going on in your, in your mind, right? It's a way of kind of making it, making it real, you know, in that as above, so below kind of way. Um, so I think, yeah, whether it's a tea light or a big spell in the forest, you know, or whatever, um, <laughs> that uh, it's great. And and one other thing that I uh, I actually haven't been doing it so much lately because I'm, I'm not teaching as much yoga as I used to. Um, but when I did, I would uh, have a class on Tuesday nights um, at the studio I used to run in Vancouver, which is closed now. Um, but on Tuesday nights, it was moon phase flow. So depending on what the moon was doing, we would do a practice in alignment with that. Um, so, you know, this actually grew out of teaching yoga for many, many years and kind of noticing how the moon would affect the way our bodies wanted to move, like what kind of energy we had. Um, and I think, you know, if you're practicing a sort of yoga that involves balancing or inversions, the full and the new moon really affect that because the the way the moon is pulling on the tides. Um, I think a lot of us can kind of feel in our bodies. So, um, I evolved it into this practice where, you know, around the full moon, I found that, well, it was a mix of things. Like either people would have a lot of energy they needed to get out, or they Mm -hmm. were feeling like too sort of stuffed with energy and exhausted, like a, like a a balloon animal that has too much air in it that you can't twist it. So uh, yes. I'd often do I'd often do a yin yang practice around that time like we'd do some intense flow and then we'd do some deep rest and like you kind of whatever it was you needed that would help you to balance out um, and on the new moons we'd be doing more rest and gentler practice closer to the ground and on the waxing moon that would be like the best time to do your challenge poses your inversions your learning new things um and then the waning moon would be more about kind of integrating your practices doing your breath work all of that kind of stuff um so uh, that made it into the book cuz as you mentioned i do have a, a yoga pose for each of the the full moons because um the the yoga poses do have energies that uh, i think really um Are useful to think about in terms of like you know being really close to the ground is going to feel one kind of way and like balancing on Mm. one foot is going to feel a totally different way so if you're aligning that with the moon in the seasons um it's a really interesting way of fitting your your the experience of your body into what's happening with the moon
1: the way you explained about the energy that someone can have around the full moon was so spot on i absolutely (laughs) agree with that because it's funny because you said about you know from a child like the, the the moon was very you know became a thing and it was very apparent for you and, and important and same like me I mean um when I was a kid there was a program called button moon and I used to drag my dad down to the bottom of the garden to go and stare at the moon like you mm. know once it got dark and I feel like we've all got these memories you know and, and and little ways that we've we've honored her from very young but in terms of the energetic uh factor and you do get into this in the intro of the book um when I was you know when I was a teenager and I feel I would do this for my own daughter now my dad used to kind of think if I was losing the plot he'd look at the sky and be like oh it's the full moon that makes (laughs) perfect sense why that's (laughs) happening now and you know I feel like um I I feel like sometimes us witches are really uh good at you know noticing that and keeping a, a tally on it sometimes when I've sort of lost track with where the moon is at which happens quite frequently um you know then I'll sort of have a look and think oh that makes so much sense I know exactly yeah. <laughs> why I'm feeling like this you know because sometimes that energy you can take it as yours sometimes you can think oh this this, this feels like external it feels like it's something else um but I particularly loved at the beginning of the book you did go into that and how you know about the Earth's orbit and all different aspects about the gravitational connection and lots of different b- bits in regards to water. Um, so that was really fascinating for me. There was a section in the intro, I absolutely love like chills in regards to um, how you wrote this. So I'm actually gonna read this section out and it is, my work with the moon isn't just about the moon, it's also about the seasons the weather, the trees, my place here, my family's history and my intention to learn, understand and heal. Working with the moon across the year, how has this for you, Julie, deepened your relationship with the land, ancestry and yourself overall?
0: Yes, thank you for that question. I have so many thoughts about that and I'll try not to ramble on too much as I think about it. Um, but, you know, here in Canada, we have a colonial history, you know, of course, as many places in the world do. And, um, you know, the, the long story short is that there were um, uh, Indigenous people who uh, lived on the land and had this deep relationship with nature and the moon and the cycles of the seasons. And a lot of the uh, names for the moon come from those Indigenous um, tribes or bands. Yes. And You know, over time, um, people who came from uh, mostly England, I guess, and other places as well, would come in and kind of steal the resources from those Indigenous people. And we have sort of a horrifying history of cultural genocide, you know, of residential schools, of really, really taking the, um, the... the the spirituality and the language and the culture and the magic away from the First Nations people here. So Mm. we're in a generation where I think a lot of people in Canada are wanting to learn about that and wanting to heal it. My ancestors are from England, Ireland, France, Germany, which are colonizing places, but Mm. or Mm. and um, also places that have been colonized. Right. So part of what I learned uh, through the book, as well as in other ways, Is that, you know, the Celtic um, mythology and magic that a lot of witches engage with, including when we have holidays like Beltane and Samhain and Yule and so on these are uh, holidays that were kind of co-opted by Christian patriarchal culture over time and um a lot I found it really fascinating how a lot of uh Christian holidays will align with those dates <laughs> and those times right and and often they're like on the you know that full moon or that solar day or whatever it is. Um, but it's just sort of reframed in a Christian way. So you can mm. kind of think of that as syncretism, like the the, <laughs> the religions coming together. But there is also there was an erasure there, right? Because a lot of those Celtic um, practices were were never written down, so they got kind of lost. Um, and mm. a lot of modern day witches are trying to sort of pull them back through, you know, the information that we have about them, and also our intuitive experience of the seasons. So I think that you know, as um, a white settler in Canada. I want to be aware of the land that I'm living on, my intimate personal relationship with the land, and also the ancestry that I have, where there there are people in my familial line who stole this land from people who had a relationship with this land that, you know, um, really changed because of that colonial history. Um, And also, you know, there's sort of a whole other piece around it where um again this is a this is a bit of a tangent that i'll i'll go on briefly here but um it's that you know i think part of the reason so many um maybe specifically white women these days are attracted to witchcraft is because of um a deep desire to reclaim a spirituality that was taken from us in a lot of ways um and you know i i'm probably not going to be the best at explaining this but you know um white privilege, uh, often had to come with a denial of spirituality and culture from another place. Right. So that sort of whiteness became this, um, this, uh, like Christian, but sort of, um, there are a lot of these sort of sort of older and more body based more nature based uh spiritual aspects that were that had to be suppressed in order to maintain the white privilege right obviously yes. there's the whole witch burning you know history like that plays into it too but i think that you know are there's sort of a an attraction or a relationship that i think a lot of people feel when you learn about first nations history and ind- indigenous practices and you're like oh my gosh this is so beautiful and feels so intuitive um you know and and so within my body and i feel like this is something that i want to connect to so you know a lot of people will want to go to that and then there's the whole cultural appropriation issue where it's 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 trying to steal again but part of that issue is because we've lost touch with our our own ancestral spirituality so again i'm going on a bit of a long (laughs) tangent no
1: no very valid no no it's good to hear Please do
0: yeah yeah absolutely so you know there's there's uh working on sitting with that balance between, you know, honoring and acknowledging the land that I'm on, the history here, the fact that my ancestors um, were uh, perpetrators, you know, in in this sort of violent history, and that I benefit from that in my day-to-day life. And also, there is this older history of my ancestors whose you know, spiritual power, you know, all of those things, especially from a a witch perspective was stolen too. Right. So I have like a, like I relate, I guess, on a certain, and on that other level, even though of course it's different. And I I am aware that I, there's a a privilege there that I'm speaking from. Um, But I think, you know, doing that work with the moon and the seasons helped me to feel like I was connecting and learning at the same time um and again the moon is something we all experience regardless of our ancestry or where we live in the world or what our histories are or what our skin color is or whatever like the moon is something that we all experience and I feel like it's such an immediate thing that we can connect back to that can kind of I think that there is a deep healing there that we all need we all need to reconnect to the land like in so many ways we've all been so distanced from the the beauty and the importance of the land and you know the world is burning as a result of that uh, again that's a whole other tangent but uh you know i think it's really really important work it's simple but it's so deeply healing so i think that um it, it's a really difficult thing to talk about um i think especially you know coming from a white perspective um there can be a lot of um, shame, actually, uh, in sort of learning colonial history, and um, that's you know valid in the sense that kind of learning that you really benefit from you know violence that your ancestors perpetrated. Like it doesn't feel great <laughs> to sort of sit with that, and it can feel very difficult to talk about. And um, you know, I think it's important to at least sit with it, to read those books, to you know. Feel into how that sits in your body and how you might want to heal that. Because the thing that shame does, and I'm sort of stepping into my counselor hat for a moment here, but the thing shame does is it shuts us down, right? Like shame takes us to this place where it's like, well, I'm just a bad person and there's nowhere that I can go from there. It's not generative, right? And so if we can move through shame, then we can start to find, like, even if it's awkward, you know, ways of having these conversations, ways of stepping into it, ways of thinking about it and working with it together so that it's not something where we're just sitting alone in our silos, feeling our shame, not getting anywhere. Um, And, you know, I took uh, in the course of my counseling training, I took this beautiful class called Indigenous Perspectives that was taught by an elder Um, and she was incredible, and we started off the class kind of, we did this exercise that was um, like a bit of a a movement-based felt exercise around colonialism, and what it would feel like to have your space sort of stolen from you, and we were doing the checkout afterwards, and it was just like, you know, how are you feeling, and I said, I feel so deep in shame in my whiteness, like I just feel incredibly ashamed of myself and my ancestors, and this beautiful elder was so lovely and she was just like listen shame she said what i just said like shame isn't really going to get us anywhere here and um <laughs> one of the the themes that we learned about in that class was the phrase all my relations which is, um, you know, a bit like above, so below, or amen. It's it's a very common phrase that um, various tribes, First Nations tribes, will say, and it means we're all in this together. It means, you know, the trees and the animals are our friends. Like we're not separate from that, but it also means each other. Um, you know, so she says, you know, it's not all my Mohawk. You know, it's all my relations. Like it's everybody, and she was basically saying it includes you, like white lady. <laughs> Sitting yeah. over in the corner. <laughs> like you're a part of this too. And the, you know, not everybody has this perspective but throughout the class we really talked a lot about like, opening the doors and letting white people learn more about indigenous perspectives, so that we can heal together. Um, And, you know, a lot of the teachers I had in that class were really from the perspective of like, yes, like white people come learn about our sweat lodges like have this experience like come in and again not everybody has this perspective it's fair enough that some people are like no get away from here like you don't have any right to be here, which is totally fair but Um, you know, their perspective was very much like, no, we need to do this together. Like this isn't something that we're going to heal all alone over in our corners. And I think that applies to so many things. And obviously we want to be sensitive. We want to be careful. We want to at least try, you know, if we make a mistake, if we say the wrong thing, we can learn from that. Um, and hopefully not shame each other so much that it shuts the conversation down. Um, but that, that experience really, I really learned a lot from that. I learned a lot about like how my shame was holding me back. I learned a lot about, you know, what it means to heal in relationship to, you know, another culture or another, you know, person that you you don't share certain things with. I mean, that's very, it's very deeply relational, right? Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to like me. In
1: a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today.
0: I share my experience of that because I think a lot of us when we start hearing um anything to do with you know colonialism or white privilege, we we feel a physical discomfort coming up in our bodies. And we yeah. actually need to work with that so that we don't just shut down and not have those conversations.
1: I'm so grateful that you've brought this conversation to the podcast because actually we have read Sweet Sweetgrass. I've read a few books following on from that. We've had quite a few discussions in the witchy community that I'm in. And mm-hmm. it's come up a lot, especially around shame. And I feel like Everything you've just given us then is such a good insight into it. The course must have been an amazing experience. I can't even imagine what you must it have been. It was. Absolutely. I was yeah. so grateful
0: to be a part of that. So grateful.
1: Yeah. What an opportunity. So your book is full of information about the moon that fascinated and was new to me actually. What is a fact about the moon that has always stuck with you?
0: Yes, thank you for this question. So it's the romance, it's the romance, (laughs) the scientific romance um, between the moon and the earth. So um, I didn't know exactly how this worked, but there's a phenomenon called geosynchronous orbit, um, which means that the moon and the earth both rotate, but they rotate in such a way that the moon is always turning the same face to us. <laughs> so as she turns, the earth turns in such a way that she's always looking at us. And she never turns the dark side of herself to us because of how we rotate together. So that synchronous geosynchronous orbit um, creates this, like, like I think of a lover turning its face to you, you know, just like always yeah. wanting to see you, always wanting to show its face to you. So beautiful. So that's one piece that's just kind of amazing. And then there are other pieces that are just these incredible cosmic coincidences. Um, And one of them is the fact that, you know, the moon is obviously much smaller than the sun, 400 times smaller, but the sun is also exactly 400 times farther away. So the reason we have solar and lunar eclipses is because the moon can actually obscure the sun from our perspective because they appear to be exactly the same size to us in the sky which they are not they are far from that but i think it's incredible like you know if the if the moon and the sun were just slightly farther or closer um or slightly different sizes we wouldn't have solar or lunar eclipses um but we do we have these magical moments you know a, a couple a few times a year where there's this perfect alignment of the moon the sun and the earth that creates these um lunar and solar phenomena that just look like absolute magic to us on earth and it is magic because that's not like how ha- the the chances of that happening are just so low right so it feels yeah. like when I think about those coincidences, it is, it feels to me like scientific romance. Like, you know, like it's just this perfect alignment that it's sort of meant to be in that way, you know? um, And I think that that's, it's just really cool. So I always remember that. That's my favorite scientific fact.
1: (laughs) It is really cool, Julia. And also this is really cool. I love this sentence in your book. As different as our experiences of the land may be, the moon brings us all back together. No matter who we are, Or where we live we all share the same moon and that's I love that
0: (laughs) and if you've ever had like a long distance lover you know you can know that wherever they are you're looking at the same moon like I think that is just so beautiful
1: yeah absolutely no I absolutely love that honestly that makes me a bit emotional right it's
0: the romance it's the romance yeah
1: absolutely and I think one of my favorite pastimes when my daughter was younger used to always be like can you see a face in the moon and you know just trying to see see a little smile and, and eyes and things like that so yeah
0: <laughs> yeah my uh <laughs> my toddler and I look out for for the moon now so you know I was thinking recently about how oh. I used to go out at night with my dog um <laughs> but now you know my dog has passed away uh he's in the acknowledgments because he's definitely a part of oh, my I love the that. Moon. but now you know I have this three-year-old who um we look for the moon in the mornings now because we go to daycare when it's still dark because the sun rises so so late in the morning and we look for the moon together and like the the practice has really changed but it's something I'm sharing now with um with my little guy my little toddler instead of my dog and uh it's still the same practice but it's different you know and he'll be like oh the moon's over there you know where did it go it's hiding behind the house you know oh, oh it's so big cool. it's so beautiful <laughs> big big moon you know it's just it's really lovely to watch him you know learn the magic of the moon from such an early age too
1: and he has the best teacher to learn <laughs> about the moon,
0: if he wants to know
1: <laughs> if he wants to know <laughs> well,
0: he'll learn a lot yeah <laughs>
1: absolutely absolutely so we've got the cold moon the next full moon ahead of us mm-hmm. can you give us some possible ways i should just say actually before we get into this i really found the aut- the autumn and winter uh sections in regards to the full moons really helpful because i am somebody that does struggle with the darker season there were lots of tips in here that really kind of give, gave me some inspiration to not to not um, begrudge the winter and so mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I must get out of that mindset. And I know you touched on that as well, where you said that, you know, that was kind of what changed things for you from um, perhaps, you know, disliking winter slump- somewhat to the moon, like making it more of a, a season that you, you began to connect with. Can you Absolutely. give us some-
0: yeah uh, and absolutely you might
1: want to go into that as well i mean can you give us some possible ways to honor perhaps this last full moon of the year but maybe these darker seasons and the moon in regards to maybe have a bit more of a appreciation for the darker times
0: yes absolutely i used to really struggle with winter um when i was younger and Absolutely. Learning about the moon and the seasons helped me to really understand, as I said, that as it turns out, I'm a winter witch. And what I mean by that is, um I'm really the type of witch that is in, like intuitive and empathic so that's a lot of where I work is you know in my inner world um in connecting with other people in obviously working with the moon um I'm not as much of um a summer witch w- which might be more so someone who's into like herbs and gardening and you know the sort of abundance of the earth times of the year there's fairy magic in the summer like it's a different it's a more extroverted kind of magic in the summertime. And in the wintertime, it's more introverted. Um, And I think that, you know, I'm creating a false binary. Like, obviously, we all have elements of both. But as I kind of learned more about my own intuitive abilities and like where my witchiness shines, (laughs) it's really (laughs) in the dark, right? It's in those darker places. Um, As a counselor, you know, I think working with shadows is a place that I'm deeply comfortable you know it's a place that I really I'm very willing to you know kind of be that um, that guide holding the lantern in the dark for people who are going into those into their you know into their darker places into their traumas whatever it is and i think that that is um you know yeah it's it's been a part of what i've learned throughout that dark season um i will do a quick shout out to natalie rousseau who is a teacher of mine she has an amazing online course called the witch's year um and i learned a lot from her about the seasons and how it relates to magic and November was probably my absolute least favorite month, Um, (laughs) not the least reason of which is that I always get sick in November, (laughs) no matter what I do, but November is also, you know, it's right after Samhain, which is the witch's new year. It's a time when the veils, you know, thin between the worlds and absolutely my intuitive abilities heighten as soon as it starts getting darker, as soon as the moon starts coming out more. Um, you know, we're sort of, we turn to the tarot cards a little bit more, we turn to meditation a little bit more, you know, coming inside from, um, the cold and the winter solstice is so important to me. Um, I think you mentioned at the beginning, the winter solstice is an important time of the year for you too. I think it is for all witches probably. Um, but you know, when I first started kind of learning about the, this the symbolism of that, Um, which is that it's the death of um, the sun uh, and then the rebirth of that, right? So it's the darkest moment immediately followed by new hope, right? Um, And so that sun stillness, solstice, you know, is sort of a moment of death in the year. And then there is that brightness that comes back. So I think the problem I really had with December in the past is like the forced cheer of the holiday season like the christmas music <laughs> the presents you know the christmas trees you know the cookies like all of this stuff um it's meant to be fun but i know especially as a counselor like holidays are December and January, really the the hardest times of the year for a lot of people. And I think that's partly because we're not acknowledging the grief that is such a natural part of this season, because we are acknowledging the death of the sun at the winter solstice. Mm. So, as things start getting darker and the, the year starts ending, it's so natural to turn to grief. We're thinking, like, okay, you know, it's the end of this year. Like, what have we been through this year? What happened this year? What did I lose this year? What did I gain, maybe? Um, but, you know, especially if we've lost a loved one, we're going to be thinking about them during the holidays, like no question, almost, you know, no matter how long ago it was or what time of the year it was that you lost somebody, you're going to be thinking about it over the holidays. And, um, I used to go to this grief ceremony on the winter solstice, um, that was led by this wonderful woman who had some training in, um, a Buddhist perspective of grief. And we'd sit in a circle and we would express our grief. So somebody would come into the circle and they could um, they could speak if they wanted to, or they could move their bodies, or they could pick up different items that represented, there was like an empty bowl representing emptiness. Um, there were dead leaves representing loss. There were sticks you could bang together representing anger. Um, and so you know, someone would come into the circle and they'd express it however they wanted to, and the circle would witness. And all the circle would do is say, we're with you. We see you. And to be witnessed in grief in that way, without having to explain yourself, without somebody trying to fix it, without someone mm-hmm. trying to say like, oh, but it's the most wonderful time of the year, <laughs> you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. Um, it was so nourishing and so beautiful and so healing. And I found that when I engage with grief, which I really do in some way every every winter solstice um it it makes more space for me to also experience the joy and the cheer of the season the parties (laughs) so I think it's vitally important um around the winter solstice and this year the full moon is on December 26 so it's actually quite close to that winter solstice moment um so you know full moon aligned with the winter solstice it really is that time for like completion end of a cycle looking back over the last year, letting go of what's not working, grieving what you need to grieve, and then setting your intentions and planting your new hopes for the new year as the sun begins to grow from winter solstice to summer solstice. So I think it's an incredibly powerful time. And I have a specific ritual that I really like to do that I wrote that I wrote into the book that you can do alone or with community if you want to um and I'd highly recommend taking some time out to really do that grief practice around the winter solstice because I find if I don't it sits with me all winter long right (laughs) but if I do it it gives me space to move on or forward I love
1: this section I love this section, the wiz- so the wisdom of the dark season from your book. And, and like you said, I remember when you said about getting Yule coming in November, I was like, I remember reading that in the book and you yeah. <laughs> getting into that as well. But I feel like what you said is so important because I feel that Samhain is always kind of like a bit of a, um, a celebratory season for the dead. And then we get to Yule, we get to Christmas, the holiday season, and it's very much about who is with us, but it's so easy to acknowledge who's not sat at the table you know who's yes. no longer there it's a different feeling and I feel that sometimes it doesn't always feel like they you know uh as a collective sometimes it doesn't feel like there is space like you say you know it's the most wonderful time of the year and if we can just acknowledge be it someone with someone we're grieving or circumstance or whatever the form of grief and hold hand with grief so that, yes. like you say, you're not carrying it into like in bulk and coming into the spring season. Um, if we can connect to the dark season and not be afraid of it and, and honor it, it can be a really great time to shed that, not in its entirety, but as much as we can so that we can, you know, move through and forward with what's left of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting about Salin is that, You know, that was the blood harvest, Um, you know, the final the final harvest of the year that would be when the animals were slaughtered. It was a day of death. Right. Um, And it was originally a day of also connecting with that other side in terms of of that. And, you know, I think many cultures in the world have some day in the year related to death and grieving. Um, Day of the dead is sort of an obvious one in Mexico. Um, But the way that we do, I don't know how it is for you, but the way that we do um, Halloween in Canada on Samhain is like dressing up our children as ghosts and sending them out to (laughs) eat candy. (laughs) And it's like, we're doing this weird kind of play with death but we're not actually engaging with it, right? Um, We're not actually sitting down and talking to our children about what it means to be a ghost or what it means to be a skeleton or a, you know, a ghoul or whatever it is that it's these sort of like faux scary um, talismans of death, which is what we're addressing sort of right Um, in the Christian tradition, the day after Halloween. Um is all, all souls day and there's all saints day. So those are days that if you if you're a practicing Christian, you can go to church and kind of have a ceremony for that. Um and one thing that I found really interesting this year is that, you know, and I mentioned this in the book too, that in November, there's not, there's not like there's there are holidays throughout the year, but November there's not much. Um, The Mm. only holiday that we have in Canada is Remembrance Day, which is a day to remember um, the losses of the wars specifically. Um, and it's a very mournful day. It's not like the the sort of playful, fun Samhain, Halloween day eating candy sort of thing. It's like yeah, yeah. you know, you're 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 placing a wreath and you're lighting a candle. Um and it's really it's it's designed around the military. So not not everybody acknowledges it, not everybody sort of practices it because you know there can be controversial feelings about the military. As it happens, my husband is a helicopter pilot in the military. And so he he was required to go to a remembrance day ceremony. So we went to um, a a specific place for this. There were wreaths, there were speeches, and we always do, um, I think it's two minutes of silence at a certain point where everybody's just quiet together, remembering the losses. And I loved being there this year. I loved being there this year because I've had some of my own losses that have nothing to do with the military, but that two minutes of silence felt like it was also honoring me and the the places that I wanted to remember and feel grief and feel sad and like be in this moment where yes, sometimes life is dark, sometimes life is hard, you know, sometimes we lose people and we feel sad about that. And it felt so precious to me to have a ceremony to honor that that was shared, right? Because I think as mm-hmm. as modern witches, like, we're lucky if we have a coven that we can do this work with. But a lot of us are just doing it on our own, right? In, in whatever ways we can. Um, and I think that even though it's becoming more um, like it's, it's safer than it's ever been to be a witch, you know, it's becoming a little bit more mainstream that people can do it. There is still fear. I think that, you know, that we'll be ridiculed or derided, or, you know, we kind of have this, hold over which which fear of prosecution essentially um but being able to be in a shared ceremony i was just like oh my gosh i need this every year at least once a year if not more than that right to to yeah. have that moment of of ceremony that's shared where like everyone in the room acknowledges death for a moment because i think a lot of the time we're not acknowledging it and that doesn't do us any favors in my opinion
1: I've not long done some work around grief and it's so interesting how we used to observe death and, you know, all of the different traditions that we had and rituals and so on. And, To now, where you know, even the sort of amount of time that we are allowed to kind of you know be off from work and things like that, and the pressure to, um, if you're talking physical death of somebody, how quickly you're sort of expected to return and and to be fully, you know, almost fully functioning and so on, and um, it's very disjointed to how the process really runs. Obviously, there's grief in all its forms, but I just feel that as a collective, perhaps not, um, and obviously, you know, for a lot of us witches and, and pagans and heathens and spiritual types, we really are trying to identify different ways we can honour that and, you know, be more comfortable with it. And, hope, you know, and like you say, uh, with our children and so on, hopefully our generations will start to have these conversations with them. So it's not such a... Um, uh, I mean, I even I, I just feel like the conversations around death have been um, very limited, and you know they just weren't they just weren't really there. And I feel that there's such a bigger awareness of it now, and we are starting to kind of see what we can do around that and honor it more, and and honor grief in all its forms. But I think for it, it's been a long time coming, and you know we've lost a lot of those ways of um, honoring how we grieve those that we've lost and and just in itself the darker seasons as well I guess you really do need to get comfortable with them so that you can honour grief in all its forms and maybe my issues with the darker seasons uh perhaps are a little bit around that as well you know the sitting with it and not running away from it because we don't do a lot of that in the summer months and the spring and so on you know that that's not there um but yeah I feel like this year for me has very much been and again you know coming back to that chapter in your book and and the darker season uh full moons I really kind of have this awareness like maybe that's why you're avoiding it because you're just not comfortable with grief in you know grief in its forms right um, so yeah it's just it's just holding hands with it and and walking forward I guess and, and how can we <laughs>
0: how can we help but um but learn about death from the natural world around us. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because we were talking just before we started recording about, um, you know, how it's raining where you are right now. And I used to live in in Vancouver where the winter is, is rainy and um, dark. Like the sun doesn't come out sometimes for weeks and weeks. It's just like cloudy and rainy the whole time. Very depressing. But I actually have a poem that I, um, that I brought up a while ago, um about how difficult it is to grieve in a land that doesn't fully die because you know in like in January you've got snowdrops like you've got like flowers that are blooming in January which is beautiful and like I love that part of the world but here in Edmonton where I am now in Alberta it's a very winter city um, and, and, you know, it's a very hot summer too, but like the, the, it dies, like the trees are dead, like the leaves are down. It has snowed, you know, it is like, everything is quiet and white. And then you can really see the rebirth happening in the spring when the snow melts and you can see things start to to grow. And I think there's something for me about, you know, going through those really distinct seasons where, you know, when all of the trees around me have died, I can acknowledge that death is real and a part of the world around me that I'm observing. Right. And I think that yes. was in a way harder in Vancouver. It's like, I could never let anything go because things wouldn't stop freaking growing all year long. <laughs> it's like, stop, no, just everything. <laughs>
1: Oh it, it's, it's it's testament to that saying that I always kind of live and you know I always live by when I'm in those moments of this too shall pass because we right, know right. that those shoots will come through and you know the light will return in keeping with the return of the sun that is like kind of you know soon upon us but yes I, I really felt that reading the reading your book at this time was really invaluable for me because mm-hmm. of you know, because of what you went into, and and you just resonated complete. You know, you resonated completely with the. I used to really struggle with the and months, and as soon as I read that bit, I was like, "Yes, I need to be reading. <laughs> I need to know what you did."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's so much beauty and wisdom in those darker places, and that's so much of what I've what I've learned. You know, I I think metaphorically too, from a trauma informed perspective. You know, my my second book was about recovering from trauma. And, you know, a big part of that is is finding the gems and riches in the darkest parts of our experience. You know, um, I think a lot of the time, our fear of going there is much bigger than our experiences being there, right in those dark places. And, you know, when we're willing to look into that dark, when we're willing to hold hands with grief, as you say, and just kind of sit there and let it be dark, Uh, because yes, the light will come back, but it's not, but not right now, (laughs) you know, it's sort of like, okay, so where, so what's the, what are the gems and riches here? You know, what can I learn from being in this darker place so that the light is brighter when I get to the other side, you know, so that I can access that joy more. And certainly for me, you know, recovering from trauma, like you do have to go there, you have to go there and you have to, you know, walk that, that moonlit path. Um, And then, and then you come to the other side, you know, the same, but different
1: oh julie honestly this has been absolutely fascinating speaking with you there's so many bits of information on this episode i'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to it because i've genuinely (laughs) found this fascinating i absolutely love your book honestly i feel like there's so many different aspects and you know areas of consideration that nobody would have thought of in in relation to the moon um I'm really excited to see what you are going to be up to in the future. Perhaps, you know, 2024 is upon us. Have you got any interesting projects or things coming up that we need
0: to know about? That is a great question. Um, I do have an online course, which is in relationship with the Full Moon Yearbook. So I have um, it's uh, like an interactive online um experience where you know there's a lecture with some of this information but there's also like a yoga class that is restorative yoga for grief you know around the winter solstice and there are guided meditations that you can do so if you want to have like a more embodied experience of going through some of this stuff um i have that uh i have that course running throughout the year so you can kind of go in and go at your own pace and um and receive that that information um, I also have a new course on grief up on Insight Timer where I have a lot of um, guided meditations, lots of free ones. And there's, um, there's some uh, the you can also purchase, you know, the membership to get the course and stuff like that. Um, so if that's something you're working with, you might want to work with that. And I am probably going to be um, working on a project which has to do with divine feminine archetypes. So I've been diving in a little deeper, with um, some uh, Celtic goddesses, which I'm I'm just wanting to learn more about as I'm kind of getting deeper into this uh, history, my own ancestry, really. Um, but also, you know, the tantric goddesses that I have some experience with Greek goddesses that I find really interesting. Um, so we'll we'll see what that looks like on the other side. But um, but I've been I've been diving into some divine feminine archetypes, which has been really wonderful for me as well
1: yeah oh so much going on so exciting so i've got your over at juliepeters.ca and your instagram Peters wellness which i'll of course link into the show notes so everyone needs to check out what you're doing i'm gonna go and find you on insight timer tonight and do one of your meditations (laughs) i absolutely love that app julie thank you so much for coming on i cannot tell you how grateful i am for all of the golden information you've given us thank you
0: Thank you so much for having me and for your wonderful questions. It was so delightful to have this chat with you today.
1: That is all I have for you today, witches. I just want to say have a wonderful winter solstice, your Christmas, holiday season, whatever you are celebrating. If you would like more witchy content such as Patreon podcasts, story retellings, meditations, hedge witch studies looking at plants, trees, crystals and power animals and to join a wonderful witchy community you can find me over on the Witches Institute over on Patreon. I just want to say a massive thank you to my Patreons for all their support this year. I couldn't do this without you. Sending you lots and lots of witchy love and I'll catch up with you all soon, witches.